0: Welcome, it's good to be back with you. And I just wanna say thanks to Karen for leading us last week. Um, She just opened up that text and it was so beautiful. So Karen, thanks for that. We here at Crosswalk and across all the Crosswalk campuses are blessed with just an amazing team of creators, people who are just in to create Phenomenal content for the kingdom of God. So thank you to you all, but especially thank you to Karen last week. We are still in our series called Faith by Design, and it may have gone out last week that we only had a few more left. We actually have five more left, as you know, and um, you can pick up the series guide whenever you want on our website. And we're working on our next series, which I believe is called The New Normal, but we'll talk about that later. Anyway, today we're gonna take on a specific text that I have to tell you, you might not really like. Now, I would apologize for that, except this is sometimes how things work in scripture. James is pushing back on something that we all do. It's something that without even knowing that we do, we have a tendency to make happen in our lives. So if you hear these texts and you don't like them, understand that Scripture is probably talking to you. Now, if this is not an issue for you, you can move on. But the issue that we're talking about today is presumptive planning. Now, what is presumptive planning? What I mean by this is that it is essentially making assumptions about the way that things could go. So when I began to do a little bit of research on presumptive planning. This is a term that is often used when it comes to community planning because there are certain presumptions or assumptions that we take into creating certain communities. Let me give you a really good example of this. Back in the early 2000s, I believe, my mother-in-law moved into a planned community. They had done some presumptive planning. And one of the things was that everyone would want to live above their little shops on this kind of faux main street that they had created now the idea was great everything was kind of connected together everything you had your your you know library and your post office your target was really close everything was right there and you had all these little shops that could be the downstairs and then everyone would live upstairs in these townhomes the only problem is, their particular community didn't quite work out that way. People didn't seem to want to run shops. So pretty soon you've got people living in what seemed to be um, shop spaces, and that was kind of weird. It never quite became what they wanted it to be. Now, one of the reasons is that they had made some presumptions or assumptions about how things were supposed to go. So they made, in good faith, great decisions, except that the decisions didn't seem to work out that well. And you've heard us here at Crosswalk talk a lot about the idea of planning versus preparing. We've talked about this many times, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But we try to prepare versus plan. Because the truth is, sometimes our plans seem a little bit funny to God. I'm going to quote someone that I don't normally quote and that I wouldn't normally quote. But Woody Allen said it this way. If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. This is a pretty famous one. But it's not that God is pernicious. It's not that God looks at your plans and goes, oh, that's ridiculous. There's no way I'm going to bless those. Or because you didn't come and talk to me, I'm not going to bless them. But it's just that his plans usually take precedence over ours. Because what happens is we make presumption versus moving forward in prayer. And our text today talk about that idea of presumption over prayers. So we'll take a look at what this means to us as believers. Should we be pushing ahead with plans? Is it wrong to assume that something will work? How do we collaborate with God in looking to our futures? All of these are great questions, so why don't we begin with a text? We're starting with James chapter 4, verse 13. Now remember, we read from the New Living Translation Anytime we do something from Crosswalk right now. So it begins like this. Look here. You who say, today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and we'll make a profit. And his first statement starts with a pretty interesting phrase. It says, look here. Um, another way to look at it would be, come now. Or how about this, seriously? Or if you were in California, you'd go, no, yeah, listen, right? Um, in fact, there's a, there's a way that you could say this even, like a, hey, brother, and in fact, um, I made a comment a few weeks ago about a buddy of mine, Jason Friedrich, who does testing on doors. And this week, he sent me a text that started like this. It didn't say, look here, but it said, hey, brother, just so you know, I don't just test doors. And he showed something else on fire. I think it was an attic fan or something. Um, so the, the idea is that he's going, listen, you got to take a, a moment here. You got to take a, come now, seriously, I need you to look. And so it says it again. It says, look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town and we will stay a year. We will do business there and we will make a profit. He's sort of forecasting, but it's a fictional construct, right? Because he says, we'll go to a certain town, we know that he's not talking about something serious. He's talking about what people say. So if you're a fan of Seinfeld and if you read this series guide, you know that I mentioned this before. It's kind of like that yada, yada, yada phrase. Right? It's not really a thing, but it's a construct. Yada, yada. If you go to a certain town and yada, yada, yada. It's like that. So he's saying that there's this construct out there that people say that we will go do these things. But what's the real problem with any of this? I mean, why is he taking issue with somebody making plans? Even presumptions that people make. Can make sense sometimes. In fact, we think it's a good business plan. Now, does this mean that God has an issue? Because He does say, you know, you're going to make profit. Does God have an issue with profit? Well, probably not. Profit is not anathema to God. Now, usury is. Profit on the backs of others, oppression certainly is. But the idea of profit from good business, no, that's not a problem for God. But again, this is a construct to show attitude. So if profit's not a problem, is it just the planning is a problem? So does God not bless or does God hate a good business plan? Well, no, of course not. But there is something that seems to be missing from the planning and from the prophet. Could we say that it's the praying? And it seems like what's missing in the planning is that God should be involved in that, even so. Because he goes on in verse 14, he says, how do you know what your life is really going to be like tomorrow? Tomorrow. Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. In fact, we know all about this because today we were gonna shoot this on the roof of the church. But by the time we got everything ready to go, we stepped outside and the sun was beating down so hard because that June gloom, which I don't know why we're having in August, but that had all been blown away. It had all burned off. And this is how he's saying our life is like. Like you're kind of temporal, right? You're not actually the one who's in control of this. James struck at this presumption by questioning their view of time and even human life. Having spoken as if they had control, he reminded them of their ignorance of even tomorrow. Listen, you want a good example? Who would have guessed what life would be like today as opposed to five months ago? We could not have imagined what we have been through and what it is we are going through. But sometimes it's our own arrogance that leads us to think we know exactly what's going to happen. You see, the author in James is reminding us that our lives are fleeting like the fog, and they are contingent. And what that means is that we are here by the grace of God and by his sustenance. To believe that we are completely in control is kind of a dangerous folly, don't you think? And by the way, the teaching against this it's not new. It's not new at all. In fact, Proverbs 27.1 says, Don't brag about tomorrow since you don't know what the day will bring. This is not a new theme in Scripture. The idea that we are transitory and not really in any kind of control that we thought we were has long been preached. So how do we counteract that? How do we step into the midst of that and be faithful while still at the same time looking forward and looking ahead? James gives us the answer in chapter 4, verse 15. He says, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Uh, See, we call this something. We call it the Jacobean condition, right? And Muslims actually have a phrase that's something like this. They say, inshallah, Allah willing. If it is the Lord's will is the way we would say it. Now, the phrase can become just a trope. That doesn't really mean anything, right? Right? Lord willing. Uh, It's like a a phrase you would hear from a a New York Italian saying, forget about it." it. It can come to be nothing more than a turn of phrase. How about this? Bless her heart, bless his heart. All these things can become something very different if we're not careful. But what if we really live this way? What if we were serious about waiting on God's will and on his direction? What if we really sought God's peace? Would it change the way we live? Would it change who we are? Would it change how we interact with the world? I think there is. I think there's at least three things here that would, that would change. Number one, I think we would become more patient because, honestly, patience grows patience. When we wait on the Lord, we suffer other things more generously, and let me give you an example of this. I, I was blessed to be able to travel a whole lot. You guys know this. This is not new information. But as I was growing up, we traveled a lot. And I remember one time we were in Italy in Rome in August. Now, if you know anything about Italy in Rome in August, oftentimes people take a lot of vacations. That's usually the time that they do it. Probably not this year, but that's normally when it is. So we get to the airport, and our plane is delayed by 45 minutes. No big deal. 45 minutes. We can all handle that. After 45 minutes, they delay it two hours. After two hours, they delay it another hour and a half. After an hour and a half, they delay it three hours. We stayed in that airport for 48 hours, being pushed back just incrementally at a time. It was a mess. But I'll tell you what, it taught me something. Now when my flight gets delayed, I don't get angry. I don't go running up to the desk and start yelling at someone. I understand patience grows patience. So I have a tendency to be a lot more patient. Do I love it? No. But do I suffer through it a little bit differently? Yes. Because if we really submitted things to God and we really had to wait for him to tell us what he thought we should do or help guide our decisions, we would become more patient. So that's one of the things that happens if we really live this way. Number two, I guarantee you this, we would become more humble. Why? Because you would have to admit that you don't know what's going to happen next. And it's not actually in your control. A while ago, quite a few years, my wife and I got a job offer to move to a place we really wanted to move, and we were struggling with it. We were praying through it, and we got on the plane. Right before we got on the plane, the job was offered to us, so we had the opportunity to move our family to a different state, to a really wonderful town. And so we're on the plane. We're talking about it. We're talking about it, and we both said, you know what? We don't know yet. We need to continue to pray. We need to continue to think about this. Over the next few days, it became abundantly clear. I would say the next three or four days, it became abundantly clear this was not the place that we should be, although we really wanted to be. And I gotta tell you, it took a lot of humility for me to have to call up that conference president again and say, you know what, we're not gonna go. And he actually said, do you know what church this is? People would love to be at this church, and it's true. People would have loved to have been at this church, but it wasn't for us, and it wasn't because we didn't want to, but we had to humble ourselves and find out what it is that God really wanted for us. The third thing is this, we would be less cavalier, we would be more circumspect, right? That, that by the way, that word descends from the Latin circum, which means around, and "specer," which means to look. Espesare. I'm not sure how I'm saying it, but it means to look. So to be circumspect means to look around a lot more. You would see things from 360 degrees. You would see all possible consequences before acting or deciding. We would look before leaping a little bit, think before posting, wait before simply attacking. Man, if we live like that, could you imagine the difference we would have in our own lives and the people around us? Could you imagine the different kind of interactions we would have with people, whether it's online or in person? If we actually waited on the Lord to tell us and help guide us in which way we should go rather than making the plans for ourselves. Because when we make the plans for ourselves, and James is going to speak to this in verse 16. When we make the plans for ourselves, he says this. If you do that, if you don't do that, otherwise you are boasting about your own pretentious plans. And all such boasting is evil. I mean, do you have that friend that you really get tired of listening to? The one who always has another story to one-up you or what they're about to do? One that has always everything going better than you do? If you don't, as we say, it might be you. But I'm sure someone is thinking of me right now too, that I have a tendency to do that. It's easy to boast about our own plans when we think we're the ones who sorted them out, when there's no humility, when there's no circumspection. And listen, sometimes our plans work out great And that adds to the idea that we're really good at this and we really don't need anything from God. But even if you can do it, does it mean that you should do it? Even if your plan is perfect, does that mean that that's what's gonna honor God and glorify God and that's what he wants for you and your family? Or is there another way? Or maybe he is gonna bless those plans, but you haven't submitted them to God first. James isn't saying that you have no say in what you do. James is saying that it's pretty important for you to make sure you know the will of God. Again, he says this, otherwise you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. So what's the problem here? The problem is arrogance. Arrogance in our plans. Arrogance in our dealings. Arrogance even in our boasting about what it is that we've done. Now, Some of you may not deal with arrogance at all, but some of us do. And I mean, you almost have to say it, right? Doesn't a little arrogance get some things done? And that seems like a fair question. But perhaps arrogance isn't what we need. Perhaps a willingness to put yourself out there is different than arrogance. We would call that confidence or self-confidence. Because you have to remember, confidence and arrogance are different. You see, confidence understands and includes and actually invites humility. Arrogance, well, arrogance is selfish and arrogance is narcissistic. Confidence allows for others, for others to get credit, for others to add to what it is you're trying to do. Arrogance only has space for one. You know, we've talked about all these different phases of the, of the design experience, and one of them is iteration, right? Well, iteration means you sit in a room with people and you come up, with your whiteboard, you do all these really fun things to come up with solutions to ideas. If you are arrogant, you can't listen to that because it might not be about you. If you are confident, you can take other people's information and you can add it to your own. You can aggregate it together so you can come up with the best ideas and the best understandings and the best solutions. Confidence and arrogance are different. I don't believe James is pushing back on confidence, but I do deeply believe that he is pushing back on arrogance, which he sees in those people in the early church, and that's why he's giving them a warning. You see, I think God loves our confidence, but has no time for our arrogance. And this is why we submit to his will. It will keep us humble and helps us understand that we are not the center of the universe, that our ideas and thoughts may sometimes be wrong, and God is ultimately over our actions, over our behaviors, over our plans and our preparations. We submit them to him. And we do it purposefully. We do it at the beginning. Has anyone ever talked to you about giving? And and in the Old Testament, they make this strong case that your giving to God comes from your first fruits, right? It's what you do first when you get a harvest. You give that first fruit to God, and then you live on the rest and figure out what to do with the rest, that 10%. And we're so grateful for those of you who feel this way and believe that that's a biblical principle to live by. Thank you for your continued support. That's not the point. The point is this. They say it first because that's where we're supposed to go first. We want to give our plans, our ideas. We want to give our actions to God first, so we go to him first. And then James kind of finishes, it out, finishes the whole thing out like this. He says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do, and then not do it. It is sin to know what you ought to do, and then not do it. We can simply call this a sin of omission. And we've all done this at times not saying something that should have been said, not helping when you know you should be and you feel that, that Holy Spirit move on your heart. I feel like my life is full of these at times. In the series guide, I mentioned that sometimes when I drive past people on the freeway, I have that twinge of guilt like I should stop and help. Sometimes I do, not all the time. Sins of omission can be us being unwilling to let somebody know the full truth And the reason why I think James goes to sins of omission is because it's easy for us to go, hey, we made a plan, it worked out, no big deal, but you omitted something. You omitted going to God first. And and these are interesting texts, right? James sets up this construct, and then he kind of destroys it. And then he throws in that last phrase that we can all feel a little bit guilty about. But what's the point? In my class that I teach for Azusa Pacific often, I spend a lot of time talking about worldviews. And one of the statements that I say is that where you start has a big determination on where you end. You've heard me say this before. And perhaps the point that James is trying to make is that he wants us to start in the right place. Perhaps James wants us to begin with God rather than God be an add-on or icing on the cake or any other phrase you want to think about. Perhaps it is a truth that it is universal and timeless because your starting point often determines your ending point. We've seen this so often from counsel on giving again to family to relationships to pretty much everything. Start with God first, not second, not third, not last. Matthew says it in the most famous way Seek first or seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Now, we often hear that, and, he, and all these things will be added unto you, right? I like the translation that the New Living Translation gives it much better. It says, and he will give you everything you need. He will give you everything that you need. Maybe not everything that you want, maybe not in the timely fashion in which you think you deserve it or you should get it because of your plans, But God absolutely can and wants to bless your plans, but he wants to be a part of the planning. I've known pastors who will say, yeah, I don't really prepare to preach because I want the Holy Spirit to move on on the weekend. And I always think, you know, the Holy Spirit's moving on Tuesday too. As we plan, as we prepare, as we submit those things to God, God will lead us into everything that we need. He will lead us into, into, you know, in my situation, into saying what needs to be said. I'll tell you what, it happens almost every time I preach. I'll deviate a little bit from a sermon that I thought I was gonna give and it's exactly what God needed. Or I won't deviate and still someone will come up and say, Pastor Tim, how did you know that sermon was for me? I didn't know, God knew. And because I submitted it to him first, he was able to give me the right words at the right time. Doesn't happen every single time. Sometimes God is silent, absolutely. And sometimes in the silence, I have to learn to wait. I have to learn to be patient. And that's probably the hardest thing, especially for those of us who are arrogant enough to believe that we know. This doesn't mean that you're not brilliant. It doesn't mean that you're not smart. It doesn't mean that you're not an expert at your job and what it is that you do. It doesn't mean that you are not great at planning, yes. But the question is, where do you go first? before our preparations begin, before our hopes begin, before even our conversations begin, how can you give all these to God first? Matthew said it, by seeking first God, his kingdom, his righteousness. These things that'll be added unto you, sometimes there's things that you don't even know that you needed to have added on. And in fact, when, God, when you are working deeply in the will of God, God's math ceases to be addition and becomes multiplication. We've talked about this before too. God loves to grow things exponentially. But what makes a difference is the heart in which we go to him. If, if you're the kind of person that loves to plan and you're the kind of person who at the end of the planning session goes, oh yeah, we should probably ask God if he likes this, you're doing it wrong. And I've been one to do it wrong a lot. What we do is when we sit down to think, when we we begin to map out what it is that we wanna do in life, we don't start with profit. we start with prayer. We don't begin with presumption, we begin with giving it to God. And He will make our presumptions accurate, clear, plain. And listen, I've got a buddy who's a, he's an entrepreneur and a few years back he hit me up and he said, listen, what do you do when God just doesn't tell you which way to go? And my answer to him was, well, you wait a little bit longer. And when you can't wait any longer because certain decisions need to be made, you pray again and you move ahead in what you think is absolutely best always with the understanding that if it doesn't work out, you can pivot, you can change, you can turn. But where do you go first becomes the question. I don't think James hates profit. I actually think he likes it. I don't think James hates planning. I actually think he wants you to plan deeply. And as we talk about our faith by design, planning is obviously a part of it. Preparation is obviously a part of it. But we don't begin with our plan. We don't even begin with the problem. We begin with prayer, asking God where He wants us to be. If we can begin there, we become a different kind of people. Patient, circumspect, humble. All those attributes, all those fruits of the Spirit that God wants us to be. It's not hard. Where you begin determines where you're gonna end. So begin with prayer. Submit the plans to God and He will create more abundance than you can even imagine. Let's bow our heads. God of grace, it's been a big week. We first of all wanna lift up our brothers and sisters in Lebanon who had to deal with a massive explosion. Lord, be with that country, be with their first, second, and third responders that they are still pulling out of the rubble. Lord, be with them. Lord, be with us, those of us who are in the United States. Be with our country as it struggles with many issues. May we continue to make progress and grow. May we begin to become more and more unified, not more and more divided. So Lord, we submit any plans that we have to you. And Lord, be with the church. We are scattered. We are the diaspora right now, dispersed all over. But Lord, you bring us together in unity. So may we grab a hold of one another. May we worship you. And lastly, Lord, individually, bless our plans, but remind us to go to you first. We pray these things in your holy name, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.